Good, good. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Morning, morning, LifePoint family. Welcome back. Uh, guests, if it's your first time here, uh, we're thrilled that you're here with us. Thanks for joining us. My name's Kale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. And we always say this to our new folks, but in the chairs in front of you or on the chairs in front of you, there are some QR codes there. If you wouldn't mind, take just a moment. You can utilize that. Use your smartphone, hit the QR code, or just type in lpguest.com. Uh, that's a resource we've developed for you. We recognize coming to church, maybe for the first time in a while, or maybe just the first time here, uh, that that is, it can be nerve-wracking. So we want to do whatever we can to help you through the morning. There are some resources there. The message notes are there for this morning. Uh, and also there's a guest information card. If you wouldn't mind taking, it takes about 90 seconds. Fill it out. Just give us some feedback. We would love to hear from you uh, this morning. Obviously, we're starting things off. If you are part of the LifePoint family, you know we're starting things off a little differently this morning. This is Kristen Premuda. Uh, Kristen is our LifePoint Kids Director at our Plain City campus, and she's also the Imago Day Director uh, for all of our campuses. Uh, that probably doesn't mean anything to you yet, but hopefully in about 10 minutes it will as we explain that sort of this morning. So in the past, up till the present day, we've had something here at LifePoint called You Are Special, where we serve, uh, particularly in LifePoint kids, families and individuals affected by special needs or, or disabilities. And we're shifting that to something called Imago Day here in the coming months at the Delaware campus and then across all of our campuses in, in time with the hopes of really serving and discipling better uh, families and individuals, again, affected by special needs or, or disabilities, not just in LifePoint kids, but our hope is to really see that go through all age groups. So Kristen, thank you, first of all, so much for being here uh, with us. Would you mind just giving us sort of the overview of the shift from um, you are special to Imago Day, sort of the why behind the what and what the vision of this kind of is. Yeah, so as he said, we've been serving kids on Sunday mornings with special needs and disabilities for many years across our campuses, and you are special. And um, that's been sort of a buddy system. And so in the last couple of years, God's just opened our eyes and um, that there's more need once kids leave fifth grade. And so we want to be a church that helps meet those needs. And so we are shifting to more of a hybrid approach that makes sense for individuals with special needs and disabilities. So what that looks like is we are serving, we are hoping to serve birth through adulthood, um, any families or individuals affected by special needs and disabilities. Um, what that also means is that we're doing more of a hybrid approach, meaning um, buddy systems if it makes sense, but we want to be a gospel-driven church. We want to reach individuals um, with the gospel and introduce them to Jesus and who he is. And so um, that doesn't always make sense in a buddy system. And so we want to be able to provide an environment that sensory-friendly, a structured environment um, that makes sense for them. And so um, we're shifting to that across our campuses. And so we're also shifting the name to Imago Day. Um, that simply means created in God's image. And that's what we believe as a church, that every single person is created in the image of God. And when they walk through our doors, we say on the entrance, it says, drawing life from God and pointing others to him. And then on the other side, it says, where no one walks alone. And so a lot of times these families and individuals feel alone, right? And they feel overlooked, unseen, and we want to give them a place where they can leave and say, I no longer walk alone. 
So I so appreciate, uh, one, Kristen's heart in this, and two, the work that she's doing. So she, our team, really led by Kristen, has gone across the country to look at, hey, how are other churches doing this? What's working? What's not working? Has done just a ton of work in helping us as we think through getting this off the ground. So Kristen, there are, um, I would imagine, maybe two different groups. You've got folks and individuals, families who are affected by special needs and disabilities, and then maybe others, and certainly there could be crossover, but who are passionate about, I would like to serve, and, and I would love to take a step. So will you speak to sort of what are the next steps for, let's start with, if affected by special needs or disabilities, what is a tangible next step? Yeah, if you are a family affected by disabilities or special needs, I would love to talk to you. Um, I would love to hear your story, pray with you, um, talk through what it looks like for our church to partner with you. Um, So if you go in the notes section of the app today, um, you'll see a link there that says Imago Day Individual Worship Plan. And that's just a form. I'd like you to take some time to fill it out, tell us a little bit about um, you or your family member, um, and it'll come to me. Then I'll reach out and we'll take next steps. We'll set up a time to meet and talk it through um, what it looks like to serve um, you know, Sunday mornings through life groups in the context of what LifePoint's already doing. So in case you missed that again, if you don't have the LifePoint Ohio app, shameless plug here. Now's a great time to download the LifePoint Ohio app, right? But on the message notes, if you're at lpguest.com and it's message notes there, and this is something you're like, man, I want to take advantage of this, there's a link there again that says individualized worship plan. Hit that now. So that's for this group. For those who say, hey, I want, to, I want to serve, like I want to be a part of this and helping get this off the ground. What is their next step? And also, can you speak to those who are like, I want to be a part of that, but I don't have any training. I don't feel equipped to do that. What, what does that look like? Well, first off, you're not alone because that's me, honestly. Um, I have felt that in the last couple of years. I'm very unequipped. And, but you know what? God has shown up time and time again, um, like he always does. And so let that be said first, because I think that's important. Um, If you are feeling a nudge or a stirring right now, pay attention to it, because that might be the Holy Spirit inviting you into something. And so next Sunday, at the start of the 11 o'clock service, back in the meeting room, I'll be holding an interest meeting, a leader interest meeting. You are not obligated or I'm required to sign up on this life team. You're required to sign. I'm <laughs> okay. Just no, you're not required. <laughs> He'll to talk sign. about that later. No. Um, no. no. And so uh, you can just go into the notes section of the app. Also, there's a it says a Mago Day Leader Interest Meeting. Fill that out just so I know kind of who to expect and how many. Um, but we'll go through and talk through. It'll be a brief meeting about what it looks like to serve, what roles I need here at the Delaware campus, um, all of those things. And again. If you have a heart for the special needs community, great. Um, but there is no, we'll train and equip anyone who steps into this life team, just like yeah. all of the life teams at LifePoint. So that, that link to let Kristen know that you're going to be at that meeting, that's also, so there are two links there in the app notes today. There's the individualized worship plan, and then there's the, hey, I'm going to be at the meeting next week. That's 11 a.m., in the meeting room. And so those folks will meet in the lobby right beforehand. One of our Connections team members will be there and then they'll bring you into the meeting room just before 11 o'clock and that meeting will be going on. And again, you're not saying you're signing up that day, but you are saying I'm interested in helping this get off the ground. So anything else you feel like is important just to say? 
Um, you know, this is a fluid. We are in, this is, um, we're laying the groundwork for Imago Day ministry. Okay, so um, there's a lot of grace and fluidity within yep. this ministry right now. Um, it's launched at the Lewis Center campus officially. Um, but again, what I would say is it's a, it's got kingdom impact to, yep. to be able to meet the needs of these families and individuals affected by special needs and disabilities. We've already seen it um, time and time again on Sunday mornings at Lewis Center, and it's just a privilege to be able to serve these families. Super. I will second that. Be patient, right, with us as we, this is our, our first time doing something at this magnitude or at this scale, and we do believe it could have enormous kingdom impact. So thank you for the work that you're doing, for the way you're leading this process. Will you guys join me in just saying thanks to Kristen and the team? So appreciate it. All right. Um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and also 1 Samuel 7. And just because I wanted to make it difficult on you this morning, also 2 Samuel 7. So uh, go ahead and turn there, thumb there, note those. We'll start in Hebrews 11. We'll be moving pretty quickly to 1 Samuel 17 and then briefly stop in 2 Samuel 7 as well. Um, we, uh, we're in week four now of this series that we're calling uh, Broken Mirrors. We're looking at this reality that uh, broken people reflect a perfect God, right? And, and I love that this dovetails so well with what we just talked about, right? Imago Day, that everybody's made in the image of God. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background, what your abilities, right? Everybody's made in the image of God. And therefore, when you look at a human being, you are seeing, even in their brokenness and in their sinfulness, an image of God. And specifically as believers, as we follow Jesus and we're remade in his image, as we love one another, imperfectly as we will do so, when people look at us, the goal is, as Jesus said, right, when they see you in the way you love one another, that's how we'll know that we're disciples of Christ, that people will look at the way we love one another and they'll see something of the image of goodness and perfection of God. In the series, we've been in Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 is what's often called the Hall of Faith. And it lists out what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, believing the promises of God. And then it goes to list out, here are a bunch of people from the Old Testament who in some way, shape, or form, very imperfectly, we've noted that along the way, these are very imperfect people, but they exhibited that faith in God, trusting God's promises when he spoke. Mostly we've looked at some lesser known characters, and as we've done that, we've also simultaneously, we're trying to accomplish a lot in the series, we're simultaneously highlighting how these stories and these people reflect our core values as a church. These core values have been pulled straight from the scripture. So we've done this every week. Why stop now? Go ahead and raise a hand, right? We're going to go over grasp again, right? These are our five core values, gospel identity, right? Reaching priority, authentic community, spiritual intimacy, and personal ministry. Now, I'm going to throw a curveball at you this morning. We're actually going to cover personal ministry today and spiritual intimacy next week. So for the next two weeks, our new acronym is GRAPS, right? <clears throat> Which has a great ring to it, doesn't it? GRAPS. Could be worse, could have been SPARG, right? So we're going to go with GRAPS for the next two weeks. We're going to hit personal ministry, this reality today that we are servants. And the idea behind this, about this idea of personal ministry, is that everybody has a part to play in the kingdom of God, right? That everybody has a part to play. Every single person matters. They're made in the image of God. You have been given, you personally, have been given by God time and treasure, resources, and talents, 
abilities, natural abilities, and if you're in Christ, spirit-given, right? Holy Spirit-given abilities and gifts to use for his kingdom. How are you using those things? You've been given and entrusted with those things to be a steward and to use them for his kingdom. God has meaningful work for you to do here and now. And if you're here today and you're not in Christ, the first step in that is really trusting Jesus and you begin this journey of figuring out how has God gifted you and how does he want to use you in his kingdom. And if you're here today and you love Jesus, it's true of you right now that God has given you time, treasure, and talent to be used for, for your good and for his glory. And today, last week, we talked about some of the practical things. We talked about us being family and how to love one another. And one of the, some of the practical application of that is we serve one another. And we do that in the context of life group. And we do that in the context of a life team and, and just in life. And all of that still applies today. But I want us to do a little heart work this morning at, at thinking about this reality of us being servants. And how do we cultivate a servant-like heart? a heart and attitude of servanthood. We're going to do that by looking first at, at David and then ultimately at Christ. So Hebrews 11, 32 and 33, we've read this before, but the author says this, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now, a lot of those apply to David. And certainly, you're probably thinking, David's not a lesser-known character, Cale. No, he's not. But we're going to look at a moment in his life that maybe gets overlooked sometimes, a lesser-known moment in his life. I want you to go to 1 Samuel 17. And when you look at the chapter heading, you're going to go, this isn't lesser known. It's the most famous story about David. We're going to focus our impact or our time on a lesser known sort of aspect of this story. So 1 Samuel 17 is probably what you think about when you think about David. Even if you've never heard, if you, even if you're not a, a Christian, when you think David, you're like, what, like the David and Goliath guy? That's 1 Samuel 17. You probably think about hero, king of Israel, champion who brought down Goliath. But before we get to any of those, before he gets to the moment where he takes down Goliath and he rises to fame and he's celebrated by all of Israel, we're going to take a moment and pause and just look at what he's doing, what God has him doing in preparation for that moment. 1 Samuel 17, verse 12 through 20. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. And in the days of Saul... Saul's the current king at that time. The man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. Israel is at war with their chief enemy at this time, the Philistines. And the names of his three sons, Jesse's three sons, David's three oldest brothers who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David is serving in Saul's court, but his other job, right, is he is a shepherd. For 40 days, the Philistine, the Philistine referring to Goliath, the giant, came forward and took his stand morning and evening. He comes out and for 40 days he mocks God, he mocks the armies of Israel, and he challenges anyone in Israel to fight him in single combat to decide the contest between Israel and the Philistines. 
And so Jesse, verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, now before you read the rest of the, that verse, I want you to think about what you and I would expect would come next. Given what you know of where David's headed, you half read the first verse and think, David, Jesse's probably going to be like, David, now's your moment. Off to glory, my son, right? Go defeat the Philistine. Go take up the kingship, right? David's been anointed at this point in time. And here's what he actually says. David, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. David, come here. Here's your brother's lunches, right? Take them to them at the front. Also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and then bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. Now, many of us know the story of what happens next. David goes to the front. He sees all of Israel terrified and he is, he's angry. He's incensed by the fact that this Philistine, this what he calls uncircumcised Philistine, this person who doesn't know God, who's outside of the covenant community of God, is mocking the armies of the living God. And it's not so much the honor of Israel that it bothers him. It's the honor of God himself. David sees this as a spiritual battle, and he's like, why, why are we all afraid? We serve the living God. And so he takes on Goliath. He says to Saul, he says, while I was a shepherd, as I've been a shepherd, he says, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, I'll go and I'll kill this Philistine. Now David's probably a teenager at this point in time. This Goliath, this massive, full-grown men who've been battle-hardened or terrified of him. David's like, I'll take him on. And it's not just youthful naivety. His, his strength, his confidence is not in his own abilities because he says to Saul, he says, God has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He'll deliver me from this Philistine as well. His faith is in God. And with that unshakable faith, he goes in and he slings a stone right between the giant's eyes. And of course, then he becomes, right, the hero of Israel and eventually becomes king. But I want us to point out, I want to focus on what is he doing in the time leading up to that great moment? What are his two jobs that we get to see here in the text? How is he doing those jobs? And then that leads him to that moment where he steps up and in faith takes down the giant. His two jobs are, if you caught them, one, shepherd boy, two, lunchbox carrier. Those are his two jobs leading up to the big moment. And I want you to think about that, right? He's got three older brothers who are out fighting on the front. And he, as the youngest, it was traditional, the youngest was assigned herding the sheep and shepherding the sheep. Not a particularly glamorous job, long hours, difficult Sometimes, right, lonely, having to fight wild animals. And look, the text doesn't tell us. How did David feel about that job? Did he feel like it was awesome and amazing? How did he feel about being told, hey, while your brothers are out at the front, front fighting, go ahead and take them their lunches, right? Take this to the commanders, then bring me some word. Be the messenger boy here. We don't know for sure. I do know that typically when it's wartime and the nation needs, right, young men are often the first ones saying, I want to go to the front. And there's a bit of shame being left behind in that. But what we do know for sure is that David gets those jobs and he does them and he does them faithfully. 
with a servant-like heart. Did you catch verse 20? His dad says, take the lunches to your brothers, bring some stuff back. And it says, very early in the morning, there's no complaining, there's no whining, there's no woe is me. It's very, in the mo- very early in the morning, he gets up in obedience to his father. He leaves the sheep with a keeper, makes sure they're taken care of. That's a good shepherd. And then he goes. He has faithfully watched over his father's sheep. He faithfully does the job that his father asks him to do. And then comes the big moment where he steps out in faith and takes on the giant. David was just as faithful, if I could say it this way. He was just as faithful and dedicated when no one was watching than when all of Israel was watching. When Edwin, many of us dream of the moment, right, with the audience. <laughs> but David, if I could say this way, was the same person in public that he was in private. When nobody was watching, serving and doing what God had given him to do. And you could say, well, that's, you know, maybe that's just his personality. He's a hard worker, right? You know, he just does the work, gets it done. I think it's more than that. I don't think that's the prime. I don't think it's just a personality trait. I think it's David's relationship with God, understanding who he is. It goes all the way back to what we talked about week one, gospel identity, and how that changes everything else about us. It's David understanding who he is in light of who God is, and that shapes his attitudes and his actions. And why do I say that? One, so Colossians chapter three, the apostle Paul, in speaking to the Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. He tells them, he says, guys, whatever you do, whatever you do, I want you to work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. The apostle Paul looks at Christians and he says, I don't care what job you have. Well, I don't like the classes I'm taking right now. He's like, doesn't matter. You're serving the Lord. Go do it well. I clean toilets for a living. Doesn't matter. You shine those suckers for the good of everyone else and for the glory of God, right? Clean them well. I don't like my coworkers. He says, look, ultimately you don't work for your coworkers. You don't ultimately work for your boss. You don't ultimately work for your company or for the government. You are serving the Lord Christ. He is your God. Work and work heartily and do it with the heart of a servant. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And I think David understood that and lived it out before Paul ever said it. And part of the reason I say that is not just 1 Samuel 17, but what happened in 1 Samuel 16. And you can turn there if you want, but let me, let me just summarize for you what happened there in 1 Samuel 16. It's the moment where Samuel goes to anoint a new king. Samuel the prophet is told by God, God says, my spirit has left Saul. Saul has turned away from me. So I'm anointing a new king. And God specifically says, I'm going to anoint a new king after my own heart. Somebody with an attitude and a heart of service, loving the people, serving others. And David's not perfect. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But he goes and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and I'll tell you who I'm going to anoint when I get there. So Samuel doesn't know. And it's so great. The interaction is so great because Jesse and Samuel, they do what all of us would do. They look at the oldest and the biggest and the most impressive and they're like, ah, he's the one. When when Samuel comes in, Jesse has his three oldest boys or his oldest boys come in first, has the oldest one, Eliab, walk in. And Eliab is built, he's big and he's big stature. He's tall, kingly looking. And Samuel sees him. Samuel the prophet sees him and he's like, Good choice, God. (laughs) Well done. And God says, I haven't chosen him. And this is what God says. He says, Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. 
You think about how much time we spend on our physical appearance trying to appear, whether physical appearance or just our image, appearing oppressive or impressive to people from the outside. That's how we often judge one another. God says, I don't look at that. I don't care so much what's going on on the outside. I care, he says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I see through all of that and I look at the heart. And so Jesse has all of his sons go by and Samuel's like, none of these. Got any more? And Jesse's like, I mean, there's the smallest one, the youngest one, David, but he's out, he's out with the sheep. Surely not him. Samuel's like, call him in. And he comes in and as he walks in, Samuel sa- or God says to Samuel, anoint him for he's the one that I've chosen. Not because he's the biggest or the strongest or he looks the most impressive, because, but because of God's choosing and because of the attitude of David's heart toward the Lord. Here's how I would summarize that whole thing. Before David had the title of king, he had the heart of a servant. Before David had the title of king, he had the heart of a servant. And that is such a good lesson for all of us. Before you have influence, before you have a title, before you've got influence in the workplace or a platform on social media, right? You take on the heart of a servant And it's oftentimes in that preparation period where you're not doing, to your eyes, you're not doing anything that seems important that God is shaping you and your character and reminding you take that heart so that if God gives you and entrusts you with more, it doesn't change who you are. But rather you continue to say, God, I want to have the heart of a servant. David maintains for the most part that heart and that attitude throughout his life and his ministry. The one time that David forgets that, the one time where the identity of I'm the king gets to him and he forgets the heart of a servant and he starts to think, I'm the king, I can do what I want, is the time where he nearly ruins his life. It's the incident with Bathsheba, not just an incident, it's a whole series of sins where he steals a man's wife a man that he knew that served him and then murdered that dude, had him orchestrated his murder and then covered it up. It has nearly loses his kingdom, has massive impacts on him, on his life, on his family, on his kingdom because he forgets in that moment, wait a second, I'm a servant. I'm not a big deal. But for the most part, Throughout his life, God, or David maintains this recognition, this understanding of God, I owe you everything and you owe me nothing. <laughs> and everything I have is a gift from you. One of the most impactful insights or moments where you get to see just sort of the heart of David peeled back is 2 Samuel 7. It's one of my favorites and something that's been deeply, deeply challenging to me and impactful to me. So I want to share it with you. 2 Samuel 7, the background of this is that David has finally been established in the kingship and he's even built a palace for himself and he's residing in his palace and he looks out and he's like, God, here I am in a palace and you're still in a tent, right? The temple hadn't been built yet. God's, the Ark of the Covenant sits in a tabernacle, a tent, this movable tent. He's like, this is not right. He said, God, I want to build you a house. And God looks at David and says, David, thank you, but I don't need that. I don't, I don't reside in houses built by human hands. And, and more than that, he reminds David of what David's personal ministry was. 
He says, David, your role was to establish the kingship, to destroy the enemies of Israel and establish the kingship and bring peace. He says, that's not, that's not your job. He says, your son is going to be the one to build me a house. But then God goes on to tell David, he says, David, I'm going to build you a house. And the kindness of God to David is extraordinary. He says, David, I raised you up from being a shepherd boy, from the pasture in your father's fields, to being the king of all Israel. I don't need these things from you. He says, but, but I'm promising you, I'm going to build your house and your family. And one day your son is going to sit on the throne. And he says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. That's a promise, a double promise, not just to Solomon. It is about Solomon and him being the king, David's son. But it's ultimately about Jesus, the later eternal king and son of David. And in response to God's kindness, God saying, David, I'm going to build you a house. This is what David says back to God. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I? Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? I want you to circle or underline those three words. Who am I? Who am I? Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And in verse 20, he says, What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. Just circle that word, servant. David calls himself that over and over in this interaction between he and God. He just keeps saying, Your servant, your servant, your servant. But I love that question that David says back to God Who am I? that you would show this kind of kindness to me and to my family. And so here's one of my hopes for us, for you, for me. I want us to cultivate a who am I kind of attitude. I want us to cultivate, as we think about being servants, we are servants that God has he's gifted each one of us for ministry in the kingdom and however big or small that might be to our eyes, the first step, recognizing our gospel identity, who we are in Christ and who the Lord is, and then repeatedly, in a lifelong manner, never getting over the grace of God and the mercy of God and cultivating a, who am I <laughs> that God would use me and love me in this way? I want you to cultivate a who am I, not a... Here's the, here's the trouble, right? This is so unnatural and it's so countercultural. I say it's unnatural. Our, our sinful hearts don't speak to us, who am I, right? They often speak to us, I'm a big deal. <laughs> we might not say that out loud, but we think it. The world revolves around me. It's unnatural to go, no, no, who am I? And it's also countercultural. Our culture in many, many ways from the time that we're very young teaches us in various ways that the world is supposed to revolve around me. And when we look at who God is and we see ourselves in light of him, we recognize, no, it, it revolves around him. <laughs> who am I? God, who am I that you would give me the breath in my lungs right now? Who am I that you would give me an entire world to step out into and enjoy? Who am I that you would give me a family, a job, the things I have, the opportunities I have, the people who love me? And listen, 
Maybe you hear that list and you go, yeah, but Kale, I don't, have, I don't have many of those things. I don't have a great family right now. That dynamic's hard. Or I don't have a great job right now. Or I don't have any job at all. Or I don't have a home. I don't have somewhere to live right now. And you go, I understand why David would cultivate a who am I kind of attitude. Look, he's got a platform and the kingship and all that. But the reality is, guys, if you're in Christ, you've got more than David had. <laughs> you have an eternal inheritance You have Christ, the Son of God. You get to look back and see how God sent his Son for you personally and how Christ came and loved you and has redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you. And if you're in him, all things that pertain to life and godliness are yours and you have an eternity to look forward to with him forever. (laughs) Who am I, God, that you would love me? that you would send your son to die for me, that you would serve me that way. And that's ultimately, when we ask the question, why should I cultivate a who am I kind of attitude? Not a look at me kind of attitude, but a who am I kind of attitude. It's because of what we see in our Savior. It's not ultimately because of David, but it's because of who David points to. (laughs) David is this good shepherd and this shepherd king who points forward to the ultimate good shepherd and the ultimate servant king, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ became a servant for you and for me. That's, that's where the gospel brings all this to bear. And you say, why, why should I cultivate a who am I kind of attitude and always stay in this humility of I'm not a big deal? It's because, man, only God is. And yet that God stepped out of all that glory and came down saying, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And he went to the cross for you and for me flipped this whole thing on its head and gave us the most powerful example of what it means to lead and to serve and to love. First and foremost with the cross itself, but then I love John chapter 13. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's at the last supper with his disciples and he gives this powerful, such a powerful example of what it means to lead and he does it by serving gets up and he takes off his outer robes and he strips down to the garments that a servant would wear, puts on a towel and he gets down and he starts washing the dirty, nasty feet of all of his disciples. And if you hear that and think, (laughs) like Jesus Christ, the King of the universe and Savior of the world, got down on his hands and knees and did the job that only the servants, only the slaves would do. Your reaction to that is a bit like what the disciples was. The disciples were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Peter, in fact, told Jesus, like, no, (laughs) I'm not letting you touch my feet, right? I'm not letting you wash me. And Jesus is like, you have to. You're going to be my follower, right? You got to let me wash you clean. And he gives them and he gives us this incredible picture, what it means to lead, what it means to love, what it means to serve cultivate a who am I kind of attitude and heart. If you're here today and you love Jesus and you know him, there are some practical things. We talked about those last week. Maybe it's an opportunity you have in your life group. Maybe it's an opportunity to step onto a life team and you've just not not done that yet. We ask you to serve two times a month, right? Take a step, do it. We talked about it last week. Maybe it's just in life with your neighborhood. 
or at your workplace or in the classroom where God has given you an opportunity to take on the heart of a servant and to serve someone else and to put someone else before yourself for the glory of God. Do that. But most of all today, what I want us to do is we're gonna take a moment here and we're gonna pray just to repent and to ask the Lord's forgiveness if the look at me kind of attitude has seeped in <laughs> to take that to the Lord today and say, God, forgive me. I've made this about me. And I've forgotten this who am I kind of attitude. I've forgotten really the gospel that Christ himself came saying, I came not to be served, but to serve and give myself as a ransom for many. Lord, forgive me. Remind me that it's about you, not me. And if you're here today and you don't know and love Jesus, the first step is turning from sin and trusting him. And maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit like, maybe like the apostle Peter, where you're going, I, I don't think I can bring all of my dirtiness, all the filth of my life, all of my past to Christ. And I would say to you, yes, you can. In fact, to be his follower, you must. You come just as you are. And Jesus in return promises you that through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he will wash you clean, give you new life, and raise you up with him. And the first step is to trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we take a moment right now just corporately as a church to say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we so often make things about ourselves. <laughs> Father, forgive us when we uh, listen to our own sinful hearts, to the enemy or to the culture around us as it's saying, this is about me. I'm a big deal. Do you know who I am? And Father, help us instead to cultivate that. No, who am I? Who am I, sovereign Lord, that you would love me this way? That you would save me? That you would send your son to die for me? And that you would use me in a meaningful way in your kingdom? And Father, will you help us? Some of us are here today and we're in that shepherding season, the lunchbox carrying season, and we don't feel like what we're doing makes any difference. Will you remind us that is the training ground for later on things and future ministry? And God, will you help shape our character in that season? I wanna give you just a moment to pray. Maybe you're at the place like David and you're looking at your life going, Father, who am I? Praise him for that. Thank him. Maybe you're in the season where you can't see a lot of meaning in what you're doing. Trust him. Stay faithful. Stay humble. Take a moment just to pray.
as we continue to pray, if you're here today and you've heard the gospel, maybe you've heard it from friends, maybe you've heard it here, and you're ready to take that step to say, I've never walked with Jesus, but I want to start. I'm going to pray. I would invite you to pray with me. It's not magic words, but the intention of your heart to say, Jesus, today, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm trusting you with my life. Pray with me. Father, today I ask forgiveness. I bring all of my past, all of my present, and I hand over my future to you. And I ask forgiveness, and I thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection, Jesus. Today, wash me clean. And from this day forward, I give myself to you. Lord, thank you that whenever anyone answers or asks that, Father, in prayer, you answer it. Thank you that when we seek you, we find you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.